Grub Chapel family, how's everybody doing today? I promise you, no Alabama jokes, no Auburn jokes. Um, I'm a Tennessee Titans fan, so I can't joke about football at all. Um, a lot of good stuff going on. You heard some of that right there. Um, if you have teenagers, I encourage you, get them here on Wednesday nights. Pastor Tristan has a heart for your kids and for this generation. And yeah, I promise you, they'll benefit and you'll benefit from getting them in the presence of God and underneath his leadership. A lot, a lot of good stuff. I'm sharing vision today. Next Sunday is Dream Again Sunday, where I'm going to unpack everything God has done to the Shoals Dream Center and what God is going to do in the next few years through the Shoals Dream Center. And then that Monday night, October 18th at 6.30 p.m., I'm inviting you to an open house at the Shoals Dream Center. You get to walk through, see all of the different areas, all the different ministries that happen there, and get to hear about what God is going to do in our community. So I invite you. It's going to be a great, great day. So a lot of good stuff. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ezra and then also John chapter 4. So Ezra, if you start the book of Psalms and work back, uh, you'll get to Nehemiah. Ezra's right before Nehemiah, and the book of John is in the New Testament after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. And so vision is important. Uh, the Bible says without vision, the people perish, meaning they don't know which way to go. And so vision is nothing more than really a visual of your purpose, like being able to see your purpose in action or in life. And so with vision, it's, it's all futuristic. It, it's a direction. It's something out there. It's something that draws us or, or stirs hope in us or passion for us in the future. And most of us think about the future. If you're a high school kid, you're thinking about college or career. If you're in college, you're thinking about uh, what career to go and take, where to live, who to marry. If you're older, you're thinking about the future of your kids or your grandkids. And so most of us think about the future, but we don't take time to pray through our future. There's a major difference between a good idea and a God vision. And so I believe God has a vision for the church, and I believe that vision starts with the, the capital C church, and then it breaks down a little bit smaller to the regional church, like for the shoals, and then I believe each and every church has a vision that helps move God's vision forward, and then I believe every individual has a vision. I believe God, when he created you, created you with the fingerprints of God all over you, and he created you with a purpose and an intention and a vision inside of you. He wants to see you fulfill in your life, that anytime somebody creates something or invents something, they create it with the end purpose in mind. And when God created you, he created you with the end purpose in mind, that vision in mind. And I'm praying that today this, this message stirs that vision inside of you to ask God, what is your vision for me? Because his vision for the church includes you, and I believe will stir you. In Ephesians 2, verse 19, it says this in the message version. It says, that's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. The kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. For God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you. Everybody say me. He's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. God is using you to build a temple for his glory here on earth. That temple is called his church. Yeah. And he's using you. 
your gifts, your purpose, your passion, your time, your talent, your treasure to build something that displays his glory to the world around us. And my heart is that we can come together to build something beautiful. Every time I read the book of Acts, since the day I got saved and I read through the Bible, the book of Acts stirs my heart for a community that looks like Acts chapter 2 where people love each other so much, they're spending time and sharing and fellowship together, devoted to the teaching of the apostles. They're adding numbers to their, to their group day by day as they just seek God's presence and his kingdom here on earth. That is my prayer for us. And so the last 18 months, though, for a lot of people, has kind of pushed the pause button on many things we see in life. Push the pause button on family reunions and even funerals and weddings. Now it seems like we're doing weddings every single week, Toy and I, because all the weddings got backlogged because 2020 there's no weddings, 2021 there's weddings every hour on the hour. Like the great pause button was pushed. And so for us, the pause button was pushed as a church that we didn't stop moving, but the movement seemed to slow down. In the book of Ezra, there was a great pause button that was pushed on the church by Nebuchadnezzar, that the people of the the Jews, God's people, were were sent to exile for 70 years. A great big pause button. For 70 years, they couldn't go back and worship in Jerusalem. For 70 years, they couldn't go make sacrifices at the temple. For 70 years, they couldn't advance God's kingdom on earth. For 70 years, they couldn't move forward. And what's interesting is we're about 73 weeks from the first day we shut down from the pandemic. So 70 years and 73 weeks, and it says this in Ezra 1. So after these 70 years, it says this, in the first year of Cyprus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all of the kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is interesting because he's not even a Christian or a believer or a Jew. He has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has charged him to build a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever's among you, all his people, may his God be with them and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem, and let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men. Everybody say men. By the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides free will offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the heads of the fathers of the houses of Judah and Benjamin, or the, the men, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. Everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. It, it's interesting, after 70 years of being away from the house of God, from being away from the people of God, from being able to worship God. After 70 years, it wasn't a believer who said, listen, we're missing something in our lives. It wasn't a believer who said, we're missing worship, we're missing the people of God, we're missing making sacrifices, we're missing God's kingdom here on earth. It wasn't a believer, it was a heathen. That it took God's people listening to a heathen who was in authority said, listen, God is doing something in me, and I say we need to go back, we need to rebuild what we've been missing for the last 70 years. And he says he's going to stir the hearts of the men, that every time God wants to do something, he starts with the men. And this is not misogynist, this is leadership. 
that if you want to see God do something in your family, it's going to start with the men. If you're going to see God do something in your kids, it's going to start with the men. If you're going to see God do something in the church, it's going to start with the men. If you're going to see God do something in the community, it's going to start with the men. If you're going to see God do something in the nation, it starts with the men. Men whose spirits are stirred by the spirit and word of God to see something change. And I believe that we're in this season again where God is looking for men who will take on the responsibility of their homes, their church, and the community to say, God, if you want to move, you can start in me first. And when it happens, you'll begin to see everything else fall into place. So after 70 years, these Jews have been waiting and waiting and waiting. But for those 70 years, they didn't just sit there and wait because a church can't just sit there. Any move of God can't just sit still, even though the world pushes the pause button. There's an old story, this guy named Larry Walters who's in California. Larry dreamed of being a pilot. Like that was his dream for life. Signed up for the Air Force. He went to take his vision test. His vision was terrible, so they couldn't make him a pilot. They made him a cook. So he hated the Air Force, gets out of the Air Force. He lives in California, close to an Air Force base. He would literally sit back in his backyard in a lawn chair and watch the fighter just take off and leave and fly overhead. And one day, after a few too many drinks, Larry said, I think I can still fly. So Larry goes down to the Army-Navy surplus store, buys 43 weather balloons. Not the balloons you buy at Dollar General. Four feet wide weather balloons. And a helium tank. He goes home, he begins to attach these balloons to his lawn chair, anchors the lawn chair to the bumper of his car. Fills up the balloons with helium, fixes him some ham and cheese sandwiches, throws in a six-pack of beer in a cooler, gets a BB gun, because he thought, once I go up, I can start shooting the balloons and I can come back down. He cuts the anchor, and he thought he would just slowly ascend. He shot up like a rocket. Now he's scared to death to shoot the balloons. He's afraid he's going to die because he's at 11,000 feet. A commercial airline pilot called air traffic control and said, hey, there's a dude in a lawn chair with a gun. <laughs> like he's got a gun. So then they call the Coast Guard because he's right at LAX, right close to the ocean. The Coast Guard comes. They can't get close to him because every time they got close, the air from the propellers pushed him farther out to sea. So finally they get over top of him and they lowered a rope with a Coast Guard member in it and he comes down, they grab him, bring him to the ground, arrest him immediately. The news is there. They asked him, why would you do this? He said, well, a man just can't sit around and do nothing all day. <laughs> a church just can't sit around and do nothing. Like a church, a true church, is not called to come and sit on the sidelines. A true church is always called to be part of the game. Like God has a plan and a purpose to change the world, and the church is the primary method and vessel God uses. So in the last 73 weeks at chapel, as God has pushed the pause button on the world, we didn't stop doing what God has called us to do. We actually advanced it even more. And I want to share with you just a few of the things that's happened. In Jeremiah 29, 4, 7, this is why they were in, uh, in the 70-year kind of pause button. This is what the prophet Jeremiah said. 
He said, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you'll find your welfare. We took that to heart. And we have done everything we can to be a blessing to our city in the last 73 weeks. In the 73 weeks during the pandemic, when many churches were closing, many churches were struggling, we actually planted three churches. Like we planted three churches. Give yourselves a hand. Like that's crazy. We planted Radiant Church in Grayson County, Litchfield, Kentucky with Pastor Barrett Howard. They launched during the pandemic. We launched Different Church Nashville with Pastor Tyler Sturban. We recently just launched Stone Chapel, Pastor Dylan Davis. Like, we didn't sit back and say, well, we'll wait and see what, what's going to happen. No, we, we poured resources and finances and prayer to see God's kingdom expand even more. We've helped other churches with their online presence and helped them even financially and even in encouragement locally and all over the country. The Shoals Dream Center, we, in the last, in, since 2019, We've given away almost 2.9 million pounds of food. Over 4,000 unique families have gotten food from the Shoals Dream Center in the last two years. We've served over 21,000 different clients, or 21,000 times clients have came to the Shoals Dream Center. We've assisted in developing a strategic plan for the Northwest Alabama, the six counties in Northwest Alabama. We've worked with the city and with officials from all over on developing a strategic plan to end homelessness in the shoals during the pandemic. We have enlarged our digital presence and influence from 100 subscribers on YouTube when the pandemic started to today almost 800 subscribers. We have people in Australia, Panama City, Panama, who are going through online discipleship courses on our website from our online presence. We've seen Chapel Haiti gone through an earthquake, an assassination, turmoil, protest, spiritual warfare, witchcraft, voodoo, to watch Toya work tirelessly to make sure all the kids we sponsor are fed, educated, and loved every single day of their lives. Like we've continued during these seven years. We didn't stop moving. We advanced God's kingdom during the great Paul's button. But in this scripture in Ezra, he says, that's great. Do something for seven years, but then there comes a time to return. So there's two, there's probably three points to this sermon. One is it's, it's time to return. I know the pandemic may not be over. I know there's lots of things, but King Cyrus had to say, hey, listen, it's time to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the house of God. It's time to do something. We can't just keep sitting here on the sidelines. It's time to move forward. And I know there's all types of different viewpoints on the pandemic. And I know there are certain people that have pre-existing conditions or you're older and you're trying to stay away from crowds and everything else. I get that. I encourage you to use your conscience and use it wisely. But the scripture says that the Spirit of God stirred them up. So this is my encouragement. That if you are going to football games, basketball games, Walmart, Publix, school, and everywhere else, but you're not coming to church... It's not a pandemic you're running from. It's the presence of God you're running from. And I say that with all love and, and compassion. Because what has happened is you haven't prayed to ask God, what do you want me to use my life for? 
You've just listened to the news and everybody else and your Uncle Johnny and, and Aunt Susie that they watch some crazy conspiracy theory thing on YouTube late at night and Alex Jones show and now you're scared to death of everything, but you're not scared of everything, you're scared of church. And there comes a time you have to pray and ask God to stir your spirit again. Because I'm telling you, you need the church and the church needs you. The church cannot rebuild the way God wants to rebuild the church without you using your gift to do so. Like the church needs to know who we can depend on to rebuild the temple of the Lord. And so I just want to encourage you. If you have, for, I know as a pastor, this is the hardest part. Because I mean, we've talked as a staff that some have, come, some have came, some have stayed, and some have strayed. We've had tons of new people Come to be part of our church family in the last year and a half. New people all over the place, new families, great families. We've had tons of people that have stayed and have served faithfully in kids' ministry, in media ministry, in worship ministry, first impressions. They've been carrying the weight of the ministry of this church. I'm talking about not serving once a month, serving every single week for both services, for seek nights, everything. They've been carrying the weight of the entire church while other people sit back and receive the ministry of the church while they're killing themselves serving the church. Some have stayed. And so I want to honor those of you that have stayed and have served faithfully, like specifically for kids' ministry that has been loving and serving kids, giving them a place where parents can finally get a break because during the pandemic, when your kids were home 24-7, you need a break. And there was people back here that let you on Sunday mornings would watch your kids, love your kids, pray for your kids, speak the word of God over your kids while you had time to receive what you needed from God. There's been people that every week they're here to open the doors for you and to love you and encourage you when maybe you were discouraged all week long. Worship our media team serve faithfully every single week. They've been carrying the weight. And I just want to tell you, it's time to return. There's some that have strayed, that either through the pandemic, they didn't like the way we made decisions with the pandemic, or maybe it was the political chaos of last year. They didn't like some of the politics, that we stay out of politics because we're a kingdom church. We're not a political church. We stayed out of the politics, and we just kept this line in the sand that we worship Jesus. We don't worship either side of the line. We're going to stay focused on Jesus. We don't even care about this. You vote how you vote. Here's where we're at. We've lost people for that. We lost people just because they get out of the routine. And I want to encourage you that I'm giving you permission to invite them back to church. No questions asked. No, where have you been? What have you done? You need to get baptized again. None of that. Just call them as a friend and encourage them, hey, we're trying to rebuild the temple of God for his glory. And I want you to be part of it. I want you to be a part of it with me. So I'm, it's time to return, but it's also time to rebuild. In the scripture says this in Ezra chapter 3. Skip. Ezra chapter 2 is just all the people who came back. Ezra chapter 3 says this. When the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Then arose Joshua the son of Josadak, with his fellow priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shil... Somebody will say I'll cuss if I say that. With his kinsmen, and they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written, the law of Moses, the man of God. Then, verse 3, they set the altar in its place. For fear was on them because of the people of the lands, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. 
And they kept the feast of booths, as it is written, and offered daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule, as each day required. And after the regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon and all the appointed feasts of the Lord, and the offerings everyone who made a freewill offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. Let me say that again. So they re- they're returning, they're rebuilding the temple of God. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. So they've been there seven months. They hadn't laid the foundation yet because when God builds something, God doesn't start like an architect. God doesn't start with the blueprint and the plans. Like, hey, let's start with the foundation. You know, let's put, pour some footers. Let's, he didn't start like we think and start with the foundation first. God starts with the altar first. When you look at the tabernacle, he didn't start with the, the curtains and the gates and the poles. He started with the Ark of the Covenant. And so when God builds his church, he does not build it around doctrine. He does not build it around denominations. He does not build it around like interest. He does not build it around political affiliation. He doesn't build it around race or ethnicity. He doesn't build it around. He builds it around the presence of God. Before you can even think about the foundation, if you don't have the presence of God, you don't have a temple. You can have a beautiful building. You can have an amazing signage. You can have an amazing modern facility, amazing screens and technology and lighting and sound. You can have it all, but if you don't have the presence of God, you don't have anything. And so he says, before we lay the foundation, let's set the ark. Let's set the altar right where God wants it. Then let's build around. Let's offer sacrifices. Let's worship him. Let's lay down our lives. Let's make up for 70 years of not worshiping. Let's make up for it with seven months, 24-7 worship. For seven months, 24 hours a day, seven days a week they worshiped. They were making up for lost time. So the question would be, when was the last time you made up for lost time with Jesus? We get in our routines, we try to fit him in, and we try to fit him into where it fits in our schedule or our time, and fit him into our Sunday morning or fit him into our seat night. We try to fit him in, but they didn't try to fit him in. They said, listen, we've missed you. We've missed your presence. I've missed laying down sacrifices and offerings to you. And they said, we're just for the next seven months, we're going to just pour our hearts out to you. And as they did, they built everything around the altar of God. That's the type of church we want. A church that builds around the altar of the presence of God. So we have to stop building churches around brands, around doctrine, even around theology, we have to get back to building the church around the presence of God. You need to build your life around the presence of God. When you build your life around the presence of God, his presence will mark you and it'll give you favor every single place that you go. You'll have favor at work, you'll have favor at school, you'll have favor in your finances, because it's not you that has the favor, it's the presence of God on you that has the favor. And so when you build around the presence of God, it changes everything. So they build an altar to the presence of God. And so we are going to rebuild our altar first. And what that means is this, that if you don't know what you're building, you'll give up and you'll stop. So there's an old story of three bricklayers Remember when I, was, I laid brick in high school during the summers, that was my first experience with dip tobacco, right? You know, dip, we got to do the little thing. 
So during the summers, I, I played basketball, and I'd work at, in the evening time at a different place, at umpire baseball or basketball, whatever, and I'd, I'd lay brick as a laborer during the day. So remember, man, it was hard work. Like I'm talking about mixing mud, wheelbarrows of mud, putting up scaffolding, throwing bricks, the whole nine. And one day it was like 98 degrees, 90% humidity. It was hot. I'm putting up the scaffolding. And one of my buddies said, hey, bro, like our day will go by much faster if you just throw this dip in your mouth. I said, really? It'll go by faster. He said, yeah, it was only like one o'clock. I had three more hours left. I said, give me one. Threw that little thing in there, put my lip. I was scared to death of swallowing this. I'm just spitting. I come up to the top of the scaffold. There's no wind because we're on the side of a house. 98 degree sun heat hitting me. Humidity. And all of a sudden, the house starts spinning. I remember I slowly came down the scaffolding. And then I slowly laid down on that dirt and watched the sky just turn. I didn't care about laying a brick. I just wanted to live. And these three bricklayers... This guy asked him, he said, what are you building? The first one said, I'm just, I'm just laying brick. He went to the second bricklayer. He asked him, he said, what are you building? He said, I'm building a wall. Went to the third bricklayer. He said, what are you building? He said, I'm building a great cathedral to God. All three were doing the exact same thing. Their vision was just different. And so if your vision is, I'm just coming to church, you'll give up when church gets difficult or hard. If your vision is just, I'm fulfilling my religious tradition and routine, you'll stop when there's a pandemic. If your vision is just, well, I'm just building a wall, you'll push through a little bit. You'll maybe serve a little bit, but when things get difficult, maybe you'll give up. But when your vision is, I'm rebuilding the temple of God. I'm rebuilding the altar of his presence. You'll push through and you'll work as unto the Lord. And so at chapel, our altar, and there's, I believe every church has a different altar they build on. Some it's an evangelism altar to reach lost people, get them saved, and that's it. For some, it's, it's deep doctrine, theology. The altar here at chapel is the altar of the word and the spirit, or the spirit and truth. That is our altar. That is what we build upon. We are a word and spirit church. We build around the word of God and the spirit of God. What that means is we are a deep theological church. We stay, we maintain orthodox doctrine in scripture. We do everything by the word, but we also believe in the fullness of the person, the ministry, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We believe the book of Acts is the template for the church, not the dream of the church. And so we are dreaming about that. In John chapter 4, if you want to turn that, I want to read this with you. Most of you are familiar with this story. This is a story I share with the elders at Elders Retreat about a month and a half ago. And this story is just an incredible story of Jesus pointing out what true worship is. It says this in verse 7. It says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that you're saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you a living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and this well is deep. One, you can have the right water, but if you don't have anything to draw that water with, it's still no use. Where did you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well 
and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What, if you, what you have said is true. And the woman said, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Well, no, duh. Like, just quick rabbit trail. In the past couple years in, in political world, we've seen more people call themselves prophets than ever in history. Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm a prophet. His gift showed he was a prophet. If you're a true prophet of God, you don't have to tell people you're a prophet. Your gift will make room for you. And she said, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Everybody say spirit and truth. Spirit and truth or word and spirit. Same thing. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. This is the well that we're seeking here at chapel. If you remember prophetic presbytery, uh, Mark Job had a, an amazing prophecy just about there being a well of revival that's been in the shoals for years and years and years. He called chapels, the church called to tap into that well. And so there's four wells, I believe, are happening in this scripture. I believe there's four wells of life. The first one is this. First well is tradition, religion, and comfort. This woman said, yeah, but my, our forefathers drank from this well and da-da-da. She was missing out on the well of spirit and truth because she was so focused on what her fathers and mothers drank. She was missing out on eternal life. And, and I believe there's a well that we drink from tradition and religion and comfort. And we build our lives around that well. And when we do, you continue getting thirsty. In the shoals, there's so much tradition, so much religion. It's a culture of comfort and of relaxation and lackadaisical effort that you never dig deep enough to discover the well of the spirit and truth. And in our culture, there's people that are thirsty for the spirit and truth but they're drinking from wells of tradition, from religion that's dead, and from comfort, and they're unsatisfied. And until they discover a well of spirit and truth that we have, they're gonna remain thirsty. The second well is relationships, friendships, and sex. This woman at the well had given her life five times to five different men. I promise you, she wasn't looking for another marriage. She was looking to satisfy something in her that was thirsting for attention, thirsting for love, thirsting for affirmation, thirsting for approval. She was seeking it, but every time it never satisfied. And one of my heartbreaks is watching people in our church and our community that they will give up, their dreams will give up their relationship with Jesus for relationships that never pan out what they're looking to find in them. And the only reason they would do that is because they've never drank from the well of the Spirit and truth. The third one is success, money, power, and approval. That maybe she was using her body to win approval and power and get money. Maybe she's using it. So many people drink thinking, if I can just be successful, 
only to find out that the most successful people I know are the most miserable people I know. Like success does not satisfy the soul. It may satisfy your bank account. Power may satisfy your, your ego, but it never satisfies the soul. And Jesus says, I have some water here that you can drink that it will satisfy you beyond your tongue, beyond your stomach, beyond your hydration. It will satisfy you at a deeper level, and it's the well of the Spirit and truth. One person said, all word and no spirit, we dry up. You dehydrate. All spirit, no word, we blow up. Both word and spirit, we grow up. That's what the vision here is, awakening and empowering you to live in love like Jesus. Awakening and empowering is a, a, a non-religious way of saying spirit and truth. That I believe that most people in the shoals have fallen asleep to the gospel of Jesus Christ because the culture slumbers us slowly into comfort, into tradition, and it takes a move of the spirit to awaken us. So then we can be empowered not to go to church, not to be successful, not to be good moral people, not to be good people in the community, but to live in love like Jesus. Meaning there's a way to live. Jesus is not just a, a doctrine. He's not just a person. It says he's our model of life. We're called to live like him. Your life should look more and more like Jesus the older you get. Your decisions should look more and more like Jesus the older you get. Your love should look more and more like Jesus. The thing we're seeing now is the church is separating the life of Jesus and the love of Jesus. Some love Jesus, but their lives do not look like Jesus. They look like the world. Some of their lives look like Jesus. They're moral, but their love, they have a greater love for politics than they do lost people. We want them both to come together. And there are six guiding principles before we get into the well for us. Six guiding principles here at chapel. This is how we make decisions. One is we're going to be word-centered. The word of God is the center to everything we do. Two, we're going to be spirit-empowered. We're going to trust the Holy Spirit, be empowered by the Holy Spirit, give room for the Holy Spirit to move, give room for the Holy Spirit's gifts to flow. Three, we're going to be a diverse community, and we will die on that hill. What that means is we believe God is going to use chapel to be an example and model of what it could look like if black people, white people, old people, young people, different denominational backgrounds can come together around the presence of God to show the world that there can be a different way. We're not coming around our racial beliefs. We're not coming around our cultural beliefs. We're coming around the presence of God is our connection piece. We're going to be discipleship focused, kingdom aligned, and mission motivated. That's our guiding principles. Those are the six hills we will die on. I'm not going to die on the hill of politics. I'm not going to die on the hill of political prophecies. I'm not going to die on the hill of, of doctrines that are way out, out of bounds. We're going to die on these six hills. And I believe there's five things God is showing us for the next few years at chapel in regards to the well. One is this. We are going to redig ancient wells for the next generation. Based on the, the prophecy Mark Job shared, that there's a well that this generation, college and younger, need the well of the Spirit and truth. And one of my fears, I even talked to Dr. Jimmy Shaw, taking a year off of school has messed students up emotionally, socially, and in their education. Just one year. It set them back tremendously. Spiritually, taking one year off from church sets kids back tremendously. And it's our job as the 
generation that's already found Jesus to dig wells for the next generation to drink from so they can succeed and carry the water to their generation. Genesis chapter 26, Isaac redigs the wells of his father. He wasn't redigging the wells for himself, he was redigging the wells for his kids and his grandkids. And so all of us that have tasted the water of Jesus, it is our responsibility. Every generation has the responsibility and the challenge and the calling to dig wells for the next generation. So we are going to make an intentional, sacrificial effort to make sure we find out what God wants to do at, in the college campus, in young adults, in youth ministry, and kids ministry, to see those wells tapped so these young people, we can see a move of God in young people where God begins calling young people to the mission field, into ministry, to the marketplace, to see them advance the gospel. The gospel's always one generation away from going away. Always. A pastor shared a story with me a couple years ago. And I, and I think this explains where we're at. The world has gotten so good at discipling our kids and the church has gotten so lazy at it, that's why we're losing kids. It's not a matter of, of church and culture. It's a matter of the world seeks to influence and disciple children. While most church people just want to receive a sermon and some good music and go home. Muslims, there's a tradition in some Muslim communities when a baby's about seven weeks old, they'll write the five pillars of Islam on a chalkboard in chalk. And they'll wash that chalkboard clean. They'll wring that chalk water out into a bottle and feed the baby the chalk water so they actually drink the five pillars of Islam. I say that to tell you this. The reason Islam is gaining influence in the world is because they take seriously the next generation. Until we take serious the next generation, we're always going to have kids that are losing their faith to put greater faith in culture than they do in Jesus. So we're going to make a sacrificial effort to dig the wells to watch them drink the spirit of truth. Second thing is we're going to dig deeper into the word and spirit. We're going to make a commitment to dig deeper into the word and deeper into the things of the spirit. I'm going to preach through Matthew probably in the end of this month, on through next year, because what I've realized is people know Christianity, but they don't know Jesus. And you're not called to follow Christianity, you're called to follow Jesus. And so the only way to do that is to put Jesus in your face every single day to say, this is how Jesus treats people. This is how Jesus worships the Father. This is how Jesus prays. This is how Jesus handles money. This is how Jesus deals with strangers. This is how Jesus deals with Samaritans. This is how Je that we have to get back to following Jesus. We have to get back to reading his word. We have to get back to the things of the Holy Spirit. We can't do this without his spirit. And so we have to dig deeper because you're not just digging deeper for yourself. You're digging deeper for those around you. So we're making a commitment to sink night, to discipleship groups, which we piloted all this year, that are nothing more than digging deeper in the word and in prayer and trusting the God to transform us and look more like Jesus. Three, we're going to establish stones and pillars to protect the well that we dig from cultural contamination and spiritual pollution. What that means is anytime there's a well dug in the Middle East or even here in America, that if you don't protect that well, dirt gets into the fresh water. If you don't protect that well, rocks and mud will get into that fresh water. If you don't protect that well, cattle and varmints in the good old Western days will get into that water. 
So you have to protect the water. It's not just about digging the water, you have to protect it. And so many times they'd roll a stone over top of the well to protect other things from getting into that well. We need stones and pillars in the church who are willing to step up and protect the church from cultural contamination and spiritual pollution. What that means, stones are members. Renewed focus on membership. People said, this is my church. I'm going to protect the reputation of this church. I'm going to protect what God is doing in this church. I'm going to protect this church from spiritual warfare. I'm going to protect this church in prayer. I'm going to protect this church. And pillars are what support the whole structure that oversees the well, which is leadership. That we need stronger leadership. And so we're going to make an intentional effort to renew what membership means at chapel and an intentional effort to make better disciples that are leaders here at chapel. Next year, my whole year is focused on developing more leaders so you can run your business better. You can run your business looking like Jesus instead of like the world. That you can teach better because you have leadership skills that will help you each, reach each and every kid. You can lead better in this church. I'm taking my whole year to focus on building leaders, building leaders, building leaders, building leaders, building leaders, building leaders, building leaders. And did I say building leaders? Four, we will renovate the structure of the well so others can discover and access the water. What that means, if you've ever seen a well, usually the old school wells, there's like a, the stones are around it. It's like a big round cylinder. There's like a little roof and then a winch. This woman in the story says, sir, how can you draw the water when you don't have anything to draw the water with? Meaning you can have the water, but if the structure's not there, you can't access the water that God's trying to give you. And so the structure is how people identified there's a well. Because if it wasn't there, it would just be a hole in the ground. If it was not there, you wouldn't be able to winch the, the bucket down to draw the water out. It's the same way with the Holy Spirit. Many times, people won't drink the water because of the vessel it comes in. Right? So remember growing up, some of you are a little too bougie for this. Like Toya. Some of you will remember this. I got locked outside from sun up to sundown outside. I could come in for like a quick sandwich. I had to go back outside. So if I was thirsty and knocked on the door, my mama would say, drink from the hose pipe. She turned the hose pipe water on. You learn, you better let that thing run for a little bit first. Because if not, it will burn a hole in your cheek. And you got to try to get it right. Like a, a cattle drink it. It'll push your whole cheek out. So you try to find the right angle to get water. But when you first get the water out of that hose, it tastes like hose. So there's a lot of people, they won't drink the water because of the vessel that it comes through. I think many times the Holy Spirit, people want the Holy Spirit. They don't like the vessel of the kooky, spooky, weird, crazy, chaotic TBN junk they've seen their whole lives. And so we have to have a, a vessel that delivers the water, the Spirit, and the truth in a way that people can handle the Spirit and the truth. That's the balance we're looking for. But it also has to be the structure, the building, the programs, the facilities have to represent the spirit and truth. Some people will not come to this church because it looks like a Church of Christ church. We've had people walk in, see drums, and leave because they thought we were a Church of Christ. We took Christ off the sign, not off our name, off the sign because people thought, since they had the word Christ, that we were a Church of Christ church. Then they came in and they hated us because they thought we misadvertised. I say all that and say this. God is doing something in this church. And he wants to do something in the next generation. 
We have to make sure we have the vessel and the structure so the next generation can come and receive what our generation received. And we have to make a sacrificial effort to do that. Number five, last thing. We will carry the water to the thirsty. We're going to focus on multiplying disciples, planting churches, that we have ideas for churches on that. We're praying about the timing of launching our first campus and what that's going to look like and the timing of that. We plan on multiplying disciples through discipleship groups. We plan on carrying water into the community. We plan on carrying more water to Haiti. We plan on carrying water, water, water. If you have water, why would you not share it? And one of the things that I've talked about, we did really well, off, I believe the first two years we were here, was we were great at just loving our neighbors. Like, every, we would take cookies to our neighbors. We'd pray for our neighbors. We'd serve our neighbors all throughout this area. And then once we really established the Shoals Dream Center, we got so focused on the Shoals Dream Center, we stopped loving our neighbor. And so we're going to bring back, a, like, a Loving Your Neighbor initiative where we can encourage you and equip you and resource you to love your neighbors and reach your neighbors. So you have something in your hand. You've been trained. You've been equipped. You're ready to serve and reach those that are lost around you. Because God is going to rebuild his church. And he wants to use you and I to see the temple rebuilt. And I believe when the temple is rebuilt, we're going to see the glory of God fall. We're going to see a move of God like we've never seen before. And we're going to see God change and transform this, this, this whole community. I believe God is doing something amongst the pastors and amongst the churches. That God is preparing the capital C church in the shoals for something amazingly special that we've never seen before. And he's calling us to be a part of it. So here's my challenge. As this next year goes, and we're going to continue unpacking this with the strategies along with it, but I challenge you to return. I challenge you that have already returned to reach out and invite those you know are not here, that it may be straight, to encourage them, love them, and invite them back. Sometimes all they need is an invite. Two, if you're here, I'm calling you to get into the game and begin rebuilding the temple. There's teams here that have been carrying the weight for 18 months. Kids ministry needs people to help. Media team needs people to help. First impression needs people to help. We need your help to rebuild the temple of God to prepare for the people he's gonna send our way. And that's my prayer for you. If you would stand to your feet all over the room. And if the band will go ahead and come up, we're gonna close out with a kind of a prayer-focused, outreach-focused song as we leave. But I just wanna pray for you today. And pray one, that not only do you just have a heart to see God rebuild something, but two, that God begins provoking your vision in you for what's next for you. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your church. And Father, we thank you for these last 18 months, this great Paul's button, this Sabbath, fourth Sabbath. Father, the rest people have had, the families that have been rebuilt because they've not have to be focused on chasing kids from school and to sports. They've had a time to refocus and rebuild. But Father, we begin that you begin to stir the spirits of your people to return back to the house of God, back to rebuilding the temple of God. And Father, I just pray that you give us a heart to start with the altar of your presence, to build our lives around your presence, to build our church around your presence. Father, a church that's a praying church, a church that's a seeking church, a church that's a worshiping church, Father. Help us to build around your presence, Father. And I pray just for a stirring of your people to, to get into the game so you can count on me to rebuild this thing. So, Father, we're just praying for, 
for people's gifts to be stirred, their passions to be stirred, their purpose to be stirred, and for them to say yes to rebuilding this house. That's why we just worship you. We pray, Father, for what you're going to do. We pray for revival in this house. Father, for a renewal in us individually, a revival in this church, and an awakening in this community. Father, we pray for all those who are drinking from the, the three wells, Father, of relationships and approval and power and success. Father, religion and tradition and comfort. Father, we just pray that that water becomes to be dry to them, Father. They begin to seek the spirit and truth. So, Father, we bless you. We pray for this community that you've placed us in. Father, a community with such a rich history, with great people, loving people, kind people. Father, we pray for a revival that breaks down religious walls, that breaks down racial walls, that breaks down socioeconomic walls, Father, and brings your glory into a place called the Shoals that shows the rest of the world what it looks like when people set aside their preferences and builds around the presence of God. So we thank you, we bless you, in Jesus' name.